God, I thank you for the great gift of the gospel. I pray that uh, that story, the good news of Jesus, would be uh, the foundation of our lives and it would shape every aspect of, of who we are and of what we do and how we live together. I pray that you'd use your word uh, this morning so that we would have a picture of what that means, that we'd be called to obedience and we'd learn what it means uh, to be faithful to your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, when I was in college, I worked one summer uh, at a camp, and a big part of what uh, we did was lead wilderness tri- uh, trips with these kids, canoeing, backpacking trips. Uh, and so if you're going to do that, of course, they put a lot of effort into training. Uh, one of the more memorable uh, training experiences they put us through was uh, learning the canoe over canoe rescue. Uh, you probably know if you tip over a canoe, it, it fills with water. And if you're out in the middle of the lake and it fills with water, you can't just kind of bring it to shore, dump it out, and, and try again. You have to find a way of emptying the water out of the canoe in the middle of the lake. So uh, they taught us this uh, particular uh, rescue technique, and, and they taught us in a nice cozy little cabin, but then they wanted us to actually have practice doing it out on a lake in the water. Now this was in the north woods of Wisconsin, further north uh, than we are here in uh, northwest Michigan, and it was mid- mid-May. And when you hear mid-May, it's this time of year, right? So it could be 60 degrees and sunny like it's been this weekend, but that's not what the weather was like. Think more like last weekend where it's like 40 degrees, overclassed. It was very cold. Uh, The way I remember that day, there was like a thin layer of ice on top of the lake in the morning. That might not have been technically true, but that's how I remember it. Uh, And the the bottom line was no one wanted to get in the water that day. This was not a good day to get in the lake. It would be like last weekend deciding that it would be a good time to go uh, take a swim in in Hamlin Lake. It's just not something that any of us wanted to do, but we had no choice. So we put on our life jackets and we got in our canoes and we paddled out toward the middle of this lake. Our instructor was uh, kind of joyfully following behind us, paddling along in his boat all by himself, knowing that he was not going to have to get wet. So we get all set up and then he gives the command, tip your canoes. Nobody moves. Everyone's like, okay, I'm not going to be the first one in that water. Maybe he's not really serious about this. Uh, Maybe he's going to see that this is a bad idea. It's a a cold day. Let's wait for a warmer day. Maybe he's going to suggest that we just all go back to the lodge and have a nice uh, mug of hot cocoa and warm up and talk about the canoe over canoe rescue. But obviously that's not what happened. This guy was trying to teach us something, and, and he was pretty intense about his job. So after giving the initial command and seeing that no one took him seriously, he doubled down on his efforts. He started yelling at us, no, tip your canoes over right now. He starts paddling toward, I'm going to flip it myself if you're not going to do it yourself. And he starts going for this closest group. So we finally realized, okay, he's serious about this. So we plunge into the icy waters and do the whole thing and, and finally get out shivering and, and dripping wet uh, in the cold. But it was interesting to, to, to observe this because at the first time he gave a simple, clear command. We knew what we were supposed to do. But none of us was willing to do it yet. We're kind of wondering, well, is he really serious about this? Do we really have to do what he's telling us to do? And so he doubles down on his efforts, and then we realize, okay, well, he's serious about this. We actually have to do it. It's a little bit of what we see in our text uh, before us this morning. We have two books in the Bible that are written by this church leader named Paul to a church in the ancient city of Corinth. And in the first one of these letters, he gives them a simple, clear command to give to uh, support other churches to support the the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Very clear, four short verses, this is what you're supposed to do, give generously. 
But apparently, they, they weren't sure that he was really serious about this. They started to give a little bit, but then they kind of petered out a little bit. So then when we get to the second letter that he writes to them, he spends not four short verses, but almost 10 times that, almost 40 verses telling them, no, I'm serious about this. You actually have to do this. So he's kind of doubling down on his efforts here to show them how serious it is when he gives them this command to be generous. So that's the text we're going to look at today. Uh, so go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. This is found on page 1,799 of the Pew Bibles. 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9, page 1,799. And this is the third week in our series called Treasure. We're trying uh, through this series to learn how to think about money and how to use money specifically as disciples of Jesus. And, and the, the heading, treasure, really is the heart of uh, this series. Jesus tells us, don't treasure temporary stuff. Everything that's temporary is going to fall apart and have to get replaced, and none of that's going to last for eternity. Instead, set your hearts, treasure what is eternal, what's of real value. Treasure God himself. And then from that point of treasuring God himself, we learn how to use money well. And last week we saw that we aren't actually owners of anything that's in our bank account or that's in our possession or has our name on the title. We are managers or stewards of the resources that God has given us. And so we are accountable for how we use what God has entrusted to us. So how does generosity fit within this? As we look at this text today, we're going to see two reasons that generosity is such a big deal for followers of Jesus. The first reason it's such a big deal is because generosity reflects the gospel. So let's look at the text. Paul has already told this group of Christians that they need to give, and now he's going to reiterate that. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on, the, on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, Paul is a leader of the church. He has authority. He could simply command them once again, you need to give. You need to give generously to help these other followers of Jesus. But instead, he's walking them through why they need to do this, why they need to give. And he starts by giving the example of Christians in another region in this area. And they are giving joyfully. They are giving with great generosity. And they're giving generously not because they're really wealthy people who have a lot of money. It's actually the opposite of that. They have extreme poverty. In the midst of that, they're giving above and beyond. And the language that he uses to describe what's happening in this church is, is really remarkable language. They gave as much as they were able. They were, they were giving beyond what they were able. They were giving beyond their expectations. It's an amazing picture of the generosity that's overflowing from the hearts of these Macedonian churches. It's a great example of what he's talking about. And then from that example, Paul gives a renewed plea. 
complete this grace that you started. You started giving, but you kind of stopped a little bit. Continue that. Excel in the grace of giving. In other words, they need to learn from the example of these other churches what it means to have true generosity and then to act that out and to actually give to others. What Paul's doing here is taking away excuses and then using an example to spur the church onto action. Uh, when I was in high school, our basketball team that I was on was, was really terrible. We lost tons of games. We had a pretty negative culture uh, as, as, a, as a team. I remember having a conversation with the athletic director uh, one day, and he was challenging me on the effort that our team put into improving and getting better at basketball compared to another team in our conference that uh, had a perennial winning streak kind of thing going on. They, they were a very good team, and they really excelled every single year. And I started making excuses for us. Well, you know, they're all about basketball, every one of them. That's like the sole focus of their lives, and, and, and we're interested in lots of different things. We've got guys that play lots of different sports. We've got guys that have summer jobs. We've got guys that have a lot of different responsibilities academically and all this kind of stuff. In other words, I was saying, well, if we had different circumstances, then we would put in the same effort that they do. But he challenged me on this. He gave me the example of his nephew who actually played at that school. And it turns out that guy had a lot more responsibilities than any of us. Not only did he have a summer job full-time, but he also worked part-time during the school year, something that no one on our team did. And despite that, he continued to be involved academically in different organizations in the school that some of our guys didn't do either. And on top of all that, he continued to come in early and spend time in the gym, spend time in the weight room, work on his game. So he was able to point out the flaws in my thinking. I'm making excuses for why they're better than us and why we're not putting in more effort. And yet he's showing, no, here's someone who actually has a lot more responsibility than you, and he's pouring in a lot more effort than any of you. So all of my excuses were shown to be empty. And frankly, it worked. I heard his message. I started getting up at six with a couple guys and, and working on a game in the gym, like doing shoot-around and stuff like that. But the excuses were removed, and I could see an example of, well, this is what it actually looks like to excel, to work hard at this. That's like what Paul's doing here. Whatever excuses the Corinthians might have had, well, we, we don't have enough money to be able to really give generously, or this isn't really the right time for us to be able to engage in this. Whatever excuses they might have had in their minds are shown to be empty. These Macedonian Christians, they're showing what really happens when the gospel grabs a hold of your heart and you f overflow with generosity. The equation that we get here is really a surprising, amazing equation. It's a severe trial, very severe trial, plus overflowing joy, plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. It's a challenging but really an amazing picture of what Paul's talking about here. But as important as this example is from these other churches, there's an even more important example of why they're called to give. Look at the next two verses. Verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And here's the example, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. See, the root example that moves followers of Jesus to generosity is Jesus himself. There can be no greater giving or no richer generosity than what Jesus himself has shown. Paul puts it like this. He was rich. 
which is a massive understatement, right? Of course he was rich. He was the son of God with all of the resources in the entire cosmos at his disposal. He was rich, yet he made himself poor, which again is a massive understatement. He came, he suffered, he died for us. He was rich, but he came poor. And why did he do that? To make us rich. And that too is a huge understatement. We now are children of God, reconciled to him because of Jesus. We now have an inheritance for eternity because of what Jesus has done. If we want a picture of what generosity is, we look to the gospel. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's an amazing reality. We learn generosity by looking at Jesus, by looking at the story of the gospel. He was rich. He made himself poor for us. And we have become rich because of his astounding, unreasonable gift of his grace and love for us. And that's why generosity is such a big deal to us. And and from this, then, Paul gives the renewed appeal. Verse 10, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you're the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Generosity is a big deal because it reflects the gospel. And actually, as you look at this passage, we see that that human generosity is moved by God. Human generosity that, that these Macedonian churches are showing and that he wants the Corinthians to show is actually a gift that comes from God. From the very beginning of this, in verse 1, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In other words, they wouldn't be overflowing with generosity except that God is at work in their lives. And as he's renewing the appeal here in verses 6 and 7, it's the same thing. So that you would complete this act of giving, this grace on your part, again at the end of verse 7, that you excel in the grace of giving. Generosity is a gift that's given from God. So when we give generously, our actions are a reflection of the gospel. They show the same kind of action that Jesus took on our behalf. And further, it shows God's grace at work in our hearts, filling us with joy at the prospect of being able to give generously to others. And the whole thing is rooted in what God has done for us in Jesus. That's why generosity is such a big deal. Generosity reflects the gospel. But there's another reason that generosity is such a big deal. Generosity not only reflects the gospel, but it also displays the gospel. And we're going to skip over a section of text here, not because it's unimportant, because it's specific to the situation there. In these uh, last half of chapter 8 and the first verses of chapter 9, Paul is talking about how the messengers he's sending to bring this collection are trustworthy, reliable people. So it's a reminder that, that we need to have fiscal responsibility and financial accountability is an important part of how we make sure that God's money is not misused. But then we get into this renewed appeal a little bit into chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul renews this message here. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. 
Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now we have to be careful here because this is a part of the Bible that has been misused uh, by many. And the uh, message that some give is that if you want to get rich, then you need to give. And, And the way to get rich is by kind of testing God, giving more money, some seed money. And the more you give, the more that you're going to get to be able to use on your uh, personal interests. Uh, So the stereotype is a slick televangelist with a a phone number at the bottom of the TV screen saying, well, you've got to sow a little seed of money and then God is going to give you a whole bunch of money. And if you sow just a little bit, you're not going to get a whole lot. But if you sow more, then you're going to get a whole lot. This uh, message has put a lot of money into the pockets of unscrupulous preachers. We've got to look more closely at what Paul is saying here. He's saying we are able to give with liberal generosity because God provides everything that we need to be able to give more and more and more. So when he says that God is providing everything we need, it's everything we need to be able to give generously and to do every good work. And the harvest that we're looking for is a harvest of righteousness. And that's the goal for the generous follower of Jesus. It's not to accumulate wealth for myself. He says our giving is like planting seeds. And if you're planting seeds out in a field, you don't want to be stingy with it because the fewer seeds you plant, the fewer produce you're going to get at the end of the season. If you want a bunch of crops at the end, you've got to plant a bunch of seeds, right? That's the principle that he's talking about here. So the more you sow, the more that comes in at harvest time. And again, the harvest here isn't a bunch more money for ourselves. The harvest is righteousness. That's what he's talking about in verse 10. So God provides everything we need to be able to give generously, and that giving generously becomes a part of God's work in the world. And then we see that the result of that generosity is that more people praise God. That's where Paul goes next, starting in verse 11. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Do you see how this works out? It's it's followers of Jesus are given resources by God, and as they generously give those to others, others aren't just praising them, but they're actually praising God. That's the result of the generosity of God's people. And it's another reason that generosity is such an important thing for us as followers of Christ. Generosity displays the gospel. It's a tangible way for us to show the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. And our hope through this is that God will be praised as a result, that more and more people would praise him for his provision. And that's what happens when we give freely and liberally. Generosity results in praise toward God. And maybe you've experienced this in your own life. When I think about this, the first story that comes to mind is when I'm told before, when, when we were newlyweds uh, and kind of underemployed, we weren't always sure how ends were going to be met. And I remember one day we went down to the, the mailbox and we got a late uh, wedding card. And inside that wedding card was a generous gift. We knew that we were going to be able to pay the bills that month. Now, what was the first thing that we said? We looked at each other and we said, praise God. 
Now, God, God's name wasn't on the return address. God wasn't the one who signed the check. But the overwhelming thing that we learned was that God provides. That person gave generously. And yet, what we learned is that God is the one who provides for us every day. God is the one who gives. I don't, I don't remember to this day who actually wrote that check. I'm, I'm grateful to them, but we saw that as evidence of God's provision for us. God used that, and so the result of it was that we praised Him. Now, the specific reason that, that Paul is calling the church to generosity is to provide for other Christians who are in need. Specifically, the church in Jerusalem is suffering quite a bit, and so these other churches are taking up a collection to be able to go and provide for their needs. So this is specifically about the church providing for others within the church. At the same time, Christian generosity is an opportunity to display the gospel beyond the church as well. So last year, as we launched this big One Mission Vision campaign, as we raised some funds for the facility, we wanted it not to just be about us. We wanted our community to know that we are for them. And we looked for ways of blessing them. So we approached the principal at Foster Elementary School with a plan. We'd like to give $15,000 to find a way of blessing you. So how, can you, how would you use this money? How can we use this well to bless the students and the teachers at Foster? Now, I don't know if you've ever had the joy of watching someone try to process a big unexpected gift like that, but it was one of the most fun things I've ever been able to do as a pastor. I think this is generosity. We want to be known as generous people because that kind of generosity then spurs the question, well, well, why are they doing this? And then that opens the door for us to talk about Jesus. Well, let's talk about the gospel. Jesus has blessed us far beyond what we ever imagined possible, despite us being unworthy of that. And if he gives that liberally to us, that generously to us, then we learn to be generous people. See, that's the kind of community that we as a church want to become. And that's the kind of the community that the early church was as well. One of my favorite passages in, in, in Acts is Acts 2, 42 to 47. It gives us a picture of what this looks like. And as we see a picture of what the early church was doing, the very first Christians, listen to to what it describes. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a great picture of community that cares for one another, that is so deeply uh, rooted in their relationships that that even if they see a need, they're going to sell something so that they can provide for that need. And that's the kind of community that we want to be. That's what we're working to be as a church. When we talk about our life groups and what we want to see happen, this is what we want. We want these to be tight-knit families that, that grow together, that gather together under God's Word, that pray together, that worship together, that are marked by authentic, deep relationships and community where the kind of love that, that gives unreasonably, unreasonably to be able to provide for the needs of others with the result that more people would praise Christ. And I'm encouraged when I see that happening When I hear stories about uh, life groups rallying around others, whether it's providing meals or praying over for someone or helping them move or provide a vehicle, whatever it is, these are opportunities and very tangible ways to express the generosity that God has poured out into us 
out into others therefore as well. What if that continued to grow? What if that was what we became known for as a church, where we open our wallets to one another, we see a need, and we rally together to meet that need? And this is what it means to be gospel people. Generosity is a huge part of this. We learn extreme generosity from Jesus, who has poured out his grace on us in, in an unreasonable, lavish kind of a way. And having received such rich gifts from God, we then become a giving people. And as we become a giving people, we display the gospel for others to see as well. And we become part of the great work of God in the world. Now here's the bad news. Right now, that's not the norm for the church. That's not the reputation that the American church has in our culture. The statistics are not good. Rather than being people who display unreasonable generosity that displays the gospel, we've shown that we tend to be a pretty stingy people. Rather than opening our wallets and giving, we cling with tight fists to what we have. The statistics are not good. National studies indicate that Christians in the United States give something like 2.5% of our income. So you get $100 here in singles, and you're going to give two fifty, a tiny little amount. Evangelicals, churches like us, do a little bit better, up to maybe 4%. Depending on the study, look at 10% of us or as high as 25% of us give nothing at all, not even like a token $5. Only one in four gives a 10%, a full 10% of their income. And we're not talking about rich people and poor people here. It's not that some people are able to give and some people are not able to give. Studies have actually shown that, that if you make less than $20,000 a year, you're actually eight times more likely to give than if you make more than $75,000 in a year. This isn't about ability. This is about what is in our hearts. And the bottom line is that study after study have shown that most of us are very stingy people. We need to hear Paul's message. We need to hear that, that we are called to generosity. This is the kind of people that we should be. This really intensive study a few years ago said that if, if American Christians gave a reasonable amount within what they were able to give, there would be $85 billion more that could go toward ministry. $85 billion just from American Christians every single year. I mean, think about the impact that that kind of money could put into gospel ministry locally, regionally, nationally. That is a huge amount of money. Now, let me just say this. This is not about the church wanting your money. Our budget's doing well. That's not a call to, you know, get at your wallets and let's try to make up the budget here. This is about the stinginess that has grabbed so many of our hearts. And this is about lost gospel opportunities, of all people, we should be people whose hearts are so generous that we'll give anything for another person. We should be known as people who give unreasonably, like this church in, in Macedonia, above and beyond what they're even able to give. We should be pleading for the opportunity to be able to give more and more and more. Now, the bad news is that this is not the norm in the American church, but the good news is that we can actually grow in this. That's what Paul is indicating to this church. He's given them the command, and they weren't sure he was really serious about that, so he's renewing the command here, and he's calling them to actually grow in this grace of giving, excel in this grace of giving. So we can grow here. How do we do that? It's very simple. We give. We practice it, right? 
We, we give before it can get a hold of our heart. We make that the first priority. How can we be giving people? How can we be generous people? And the Bible teaches us a very simple starting point for this. The Old Testament talks about a tithe, giving 10% of your income. This is not uh, taught as a binding rule in the New Testament, but it's still a good starting point. For most of us, giving 10% would be a significant increase in what we're doing today. So if, if you are currently giving less than that amount, I want to challenge you to consider what it would take for you to grow up to that. Maybe you're giving 1%, maybe you're giving 2% today. What would it look like to give 5% this month to change your budget around a little bit? What would it look like to work toward 10% by the end of the month? And again, if you're worried that this is us just trying to boost our budget here, if you're worried about that, give to someone else. Give to another gospel ministry. Give to the, the pregnancy care center. They're doing a big walk for life drive right now. Give toward them if you want. Give toward Hospitality Inn. Give toward Help Ministry. If you're worried about, but just give. Like we've got to grow in this grace of giving. We have to be generous kind of people. And if you are in that minority of people who gives 10%, uh, maybe you're feeling pretty good about yourself right now, and you should. It's a, it's a good starting point. But I was really challenged by a story I read a couple years ago. Uh, Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, was teaching at a conference, and, and he was challenging people to make a goal of giving $1 million. There was a guy uh, there whose name was uh, Scott, and, and when he heard $1 million, he's like, I, I'm out. I mean, that's a number that is beyond my comprehension of ever being able to give. He, he made about $50,000 the year previous, and he thought, okay, well, that's for those other people. It's not for me. Well, he had a conversation with Bright afterwards, and, and Bright asked him, well, well, how much did you give last year? And Scott felt pretty good about his answer. We gave $17,000, about 35% of our income. It's a pretty generous guy. Bright turns around and says, well, why don't you make it your goal to give $50,000 this year? He's like, well, I didn't even make that last year. How can you say that that's my goal? But he and his wife said, okay, well, we'll take the challenge. Maybe God is teaching us something. Maybe he's uh, telling us something here. And so they set that goal. We're going to have a goal of giving $50,000 this year toward Great Commission work. And they worked at it, and through a miraculous provision on December 31st, they were able to give $50,000 that year. And through the course of years, that number kept growing and growing. And by the time I, I heard the story, they had given a million dollars. They had reached that mark. Of course, they didn't stop then. They continued to grow past that. And that's inspiring to me. I don't know about you, but that's incredibly inspiring to me. That is a picture of, of real generosity. And what it comes down to is, you know, this is keeping my eyes off of my selfish desires. It's bringing it to something bigger. We have the opportunity to be part of something much more significant than most of us realize. This is what it comes down to. It's the people of God realizing that we are called to something so much bigger than what most of us settle for. It's us realizing that we have been blessed richly in Christ beyond our wildest expectations. And it's us learning to become unreasonably generous people with a hope that God will use that so that more and more people would come to praise his name. Because that is the great treasure in our hearts. That is the driving force, the passion that he has given us. That more and more people that today are far from him would through his grace in our lives and through the work of his spirit come to find life in Jesus. Please join me in prayer. God, money can be a, a difficult topic for many of us. Some of us are struggling financially today under a weight and a burden of debt or something else, other obligations. 
Uh, some of us have a hard time hearing about this in church because it seems very self-serving. I admit that I have a hard time talking about it for that same reason. I don't want people to just think this is about us and our budget or anything like that. I pray that you would help us to see this really is about the gospel. This really is an opportunity to show in such a tangible, real-world way that the gospel is real, that you have blessed us beyond our wildest dreams through your son Jesus. And I pray that you would make us then a generous people, and through our generosity, you would bring more and more praise to your name. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen.